Amen. One more time. Lord, we do come to you. There is no one else to whom we may come. Bless us, Jesus. Open our eyes, open our ears, that we may know you better and therefore become the men and women of God you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Like a lot of boys born in the United States, cowboys were heroes of mine growing up. I mean, let's face it. Who wouldn't want a 4440 in their scabbard and one on their hip and go and chase away the bad guys who are harassing the dirt farmers on the plain and then go riding off into the sunset? Right? Now, anybody who is familiar with cowboy lore know that there are two kinds of bad guys. There is the ordinary run-of-the-mill people who are drunks and thugs and, and just general ruckus makers. Now we can leave those guys to the town sheriff. He can handle them. But then there are the real bad guys. The Frank Millers who could only be stopped by the marshal Gary Cooper at high noon. Well, I'm telling you, if someone pointed a gun at my wife, I would have to look a whole lot worse than Gary Cooper before I stopped from ripping that guy's head off. But Gary Cooper was man enough to do it. Men like Frank Miller, they were desperados. A desperado is a violent criminal who is not afraid of getting caught, and he's not afraid of getting hurt. They know where they're going, so to speak, and they're not in a don't particularly care when they get there, and they're willing to do anything to get what they want. Christians are a kind of desperado. Christians are called to be the kind of desperado that knows when where we're going, we don't particularly care when we get there, and we're willing to do anything and everything to make God's kingdom come. Do you think I'm exaggerating? You think this analogy doesn't fit? Tonight, we're going to meet one of God's favorite desperados of all time, John the Baptist. Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the desperados take it by force. My friends, tonight you need to know God loves a desperate soul. Your God loves a soul that is desperate. Because that is the kind of soul that chases after God and catches them. Let's meet this desperate soul, John the Baptist, tonight. The first thing that we're going to see is that a desperate soul seeks to understand. Jesus says, and Matthew records, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell what John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus, right here, is questioned by the right-hand men of the greatest desperado in history, one of them. John the baptizer was a man without equal. He was courageous. He was sacrificial. He was willing to do anything for his God up to and including eating bugs and insulting the local head of state who got so annoyed by John that he was willing to remove John's head for the state. But for now, this king-baiting prophet is sitting in prison. And while he's in the town jail, he's getting desperate. And he's doubting. He grew up believing the Messiah would come in. He would ride into town on the foal of a donkey. And he would set things right, including escorting the Romans right out of dusty old Jerusalem. And escorting the prostitutes and tax collectors right out of the temple. But nothing of the kind happened. The Messiah is here. And the bad guys aren't removed. Jesus, on the other hand, was not afraid for, nor was he offended by his favorite outlaw's doubts. Instead, Jesus gently rebukes John, and he calls him to a greater level of trust, a greater level of a desperate heart. He wanted him to know that the blind were seeing, the lame walking, and even more desperate than that, that the people who are populating the bars, gasp, are hearing the good news of the power of God that is available so close they could reach out and grab it. As a matter of fact, Jesus commanded you to have the same John the Baptist desperate heart that would seek after answers from the only one who could answer, and that is Jesus. He says in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That takes a desperate heart. But only the desperate heart will be the one who asks and receives, the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks. It will be opened. By going to Jesus and asking these questions, John was proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was desperate for God's glory. Because if he wanted to simply give up and rot in his cell, he wouldn't have bothered sending the messengers. You know what that's like. You start getting despairing, and you just click on the internet, the next slide, the next slide. Or you get despairing and you change the next channel on the TV. You get despairing. You're not desperate. You're not seeking to understand. You're just passively sitting and bringing in the 
garbage that the world is pumping at you by the billion gallon. Are you desperate enough to go to God asking, seeking, and knocking? Are you willing to go to the source and ask, get this, for wartime supplies to carry on the kingdom work? Or are you too busy asking for toys for God to bother listening to your prayers, let alone answer them? Do you really want to get into the nitty-gritty with God and go toe-to-toe like Jacob did? Jacob got a blessing because he was a desperate soul. And living for Christ is still a desperate work all these years later. These questions of John are the marks of a desperate soul seeking answers and not being satisfied by your five-minute devotional in your daily bread. But instead, going after that medium-rare steak in God's Word, that is what a desperate soul does. And God loves a desperate soul who hungers and thirsts for his righteousness. We find out that a desperado is a man or woman who seeks to understand God, and a desperado minors on himself and majors on the kingdom. That's what we find out from 7 to 10. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. They were John's disciples. Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John's. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? A politician? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? A movie star? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Talk about a desperado. I told you, this is one of God's favorite desperados of all time. This guy was not interested in reading the latest polls. He didn't, you know, start a debate with his team of friends, who's your favorite high priest? Or waste his time with the non-essentials. Do you think we should paint this office vanilla or orange creamsicle? You know the right answer to that question. Nor did the outlaw baptizer fuss with wearing the latest fashion or comfortable clothes. Think just for a moment how radical, even violent, this kind of attitude is. If you are going to stand up against the cultural, the popular culture around you today, you are going to have to do something. And again, I've said it before. But if you want to win the culture war, it's not going to just to be sit by and type to your friends how awful the culture is becoming. It's going to get out and make culture so that people can see that people who love Jesus can be creative. And your area of creativity is going to be different than mine. Your 
things that you get involved with is going to be different than mine. And that's why we are the body of Christ, so that we can take courage and go out and make culture instead of just sitting back and critiquing it. I'm not sure actually which is worse, just sitting and complaining all day about how bad it is or sitting there and watching it. They're both pretty non-desperado. You are going to have to be considered loco not to care about who wins whatever the next award show is. You're definitely going to be desperate not to care about what some 25-year-old pop singer spouts out about something she knows absolutely nothing about. That girl drives me nuts. You are going to have to fight. You are going to have to be a desperado to push away every plea to just listen to reason. Be the good boy you always were growing up. Don't disgrace your family by doing something religious. Indeed, my favorite work of fiction of all times is C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces. And that book is about this very reality. It's about how the family reacts when somebody does something crazy and like goes and be a pastor. And his cousin, the only other Christian in the family, goes and becomes a missionary for Wycliffe. Craziness. But you are going to have to say no to your family and friends. You are going to have to say no to the people that you love with all your heart when God commands you to go out and be the desperate soul that takes the good news to other desperate souls who don't know how sick they are. But, you know, we don't want to get all crazy and want to go fight the Frank Millers of the world. Well, maybe not. But on the other hand, listen to what Jesus says elsewhere. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. An 1873 4440, made by Winchester. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever is desperate enough to lose their life, they will find it. God loves a desperate soul. That is why Jesus did not have John... John the Baptist did not have time to fight about music preferences. He had a mission, and John's mission was to prepare the way for the prophet, Jesus. In fact, John was prophesied about before he prophesied. And listen to this, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. He says, Behold, look, pay attention. I'm telling you something important. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And how is he going to prepare the way for the prophet? This. 
He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike their land with the decree of utter destruction. Do you want to escape utter destruction? Pause for a second. No, seriously, I want you to consider this question. Do you, are you desperate enough to stand in the gap to stop the Lord from visiting your land with utter destruction. How are you going to do that? You're going to have to be willing to turn your hearts to your children and have your children turn their hearts to you. Right now, that's a pretty desperate place to be. In the news, some of you may have seen it. Back east, I can't remember exactly where it is, but there is a daughter who's suing her parents to make them pay for college. Is her heart turned towards her father's? No. But right now, believe it or not, as strange as you think that is, there are parents who are suing to make their children remember, we've never done it that way before. Scripture is nothing if it is not deadly serious, penetrating to my heart. And so I want to get real. Our church has not done everything we should. Our leadership of this church has not always made the best decisions, and we have not always communicated in the best way those decisions once they were made. But I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask those that you have influence with, to be desperate enough to turn your hearts to your children. I'm going to ask you to be desperate enough to go to the people who are, in some cases, legitimately upset about things that have happened here at Grace Baptist and have them turn their hearts to their children. How? How do we do this? One, tell people to knock it off. If they're upset, tell them to take it to the Lord and be with him. Be real to him. Second, encourage us, all of your leadership here at Grace, as we are seeking to win souls and make disciple-making disciples. Help us in this task because it is, it's a tough one. You know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. In some cases, quite literally, right? <laughs> and pray for us. Pray for everybody who is in leadership at this church that we will make godly decisions that will make God's kingdom grow. Not my kingdom, because my kingdom's pretty petty. And, and when I sinfully get wrapped up in my kingdom, it's pretty small. But pray that we will make good decisions and that we will communicate those decisions well. Now, I will also say that if this verse came up and I was dealing with a bunch of 20s and 30-year-olds, this conversation would look a little different. But I'm talking to you. You are my mothers and fathers in the faith. You are my brothers and sisters. You are the people that I love that we as a church leadership team love, stand with us. 
Be desperate enough to allow the Holy Spirit to turn your hearts to your children so that we can continue. And this is the image I want to put in your, in your mind. What we want to do is we want to honor that which has come to us. And we want to help develop and make new traditions for those who come after us. Because that is how we are going to continue to win souls and make disciple-making disciples. And I am asking a lot of you by saying that. I am under no illusions. But you know that you are loved, number one. And you also know that it is the Holy Spirit who is going to work in you and through you to make your soul desperate so that you can do this. So encourage your friends. Encourage us and pray for us so that we will do what is good for you and for God's kingdom because that is what a desperate soul does. And a desperado also knows his message. The desperado is one who understands the message that he must preach. He and she must preach. Verse 11. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, this is a strange verse. This is one of those verses that you just kind of look at and scratch your head. First of all, my first question is, why the comparison? Why is Jesus comparing John the Baptist to just some ordinary Christian? And, and my second question is, if Jesus is comparing one of the greatest desperados of all time, how is it that the average churchgoer ends up on top of John the Baptist? Okay, well, those are... Two good questions, and there is an answer, and then there's an implication. There's a truth that we need to put in our hearts. And the, the answer goes something like this. The measure of the prophet is measured by the one who sent him and the message delivered. So, John the Baptist is sent by God the Father, and he goes out and he prepares the way for God the Son. The Christian who comes later, uh, temporally, chronologically, is sent by Jesus to go and preach the good news. And the message, we have the same message that John the Baptist preached. If you go back and remember Matthew chapter 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have that same message. But we have added to that message also a fuller revelation, and that is namely that the kingdom of heaven has landed on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist didn't know all that. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John because he or she has a measure of fullness to their message that John never obtained, even though up to that time he was nevertheless the greatest of the prophets who had ever come up to him. To that time. But now the implication is that you and I have a desperate measure, a message to deliver. You can be saved of all your sins. Are you interested? That is the message you have. 
And in giving this message, we must not get sidetracked by anything or anyone that would distract us from the goal of preaching the good news to ourselves and to others. So the third question, are you desperate enough to speak that message? Are you desperate enough because there's people that you love around you that don't hear this message? Are you desperate enough to believe that God is powerful enough to go in you and then through you to spread this desperate message of salvation? Because if you are, God love you. God loves a desperate soul. You ever wonder why sometimes your prayers bounce off the ceiling when you're laying in bread and they, they fall back on you and they feel like a ton of bricks? Am I the only one that's ever had that experience? Anybody else have that experience? Do you know one of the reasons why that's true? Is because we're not doing anything that would really bring glory to God that would make him want to answer our prayers. Hmm. Maybe instead what we ought to do is have that desperate kind of soul that God loves and he'll be listening to us. He'll say, yes, tell me more of your desperation for my glory and I will answer it for you. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God loves a desperate soul. And finally, we come to the part of the, of the message here that gives the force of my sermon, and that is 12 through 15. A desperado forcefully appropriates God's power. Listen to verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. All of the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I need to preface what I'm going to say here by saying there's at least three valid interpretations of Matthew 12. And Bible-believing, Christ-honoring people who that we'll spend eternity in heaven with have one of these various interpretations. But it just so happens that some minor preacher, you know, from 160 years ago happens to agree with me, and that's Charles Spurgeon. You know, he, he, he believes I'm right on this. <laughs> and the way I take it is that Jesus when he's talking about these violent people, he's talking about believers. He's talking about you and me. And I believe that the violence that they are exercising by taking the kingdom of God by force, the violence that they are exercising is not against other human beings, but against our spiritual enemies. Not abortionists, not homosexuals, not gangbangers. These are not our enemies. Our battle is against their enemy, our mutual enemy who wars against their souls and ours. And that's why we don't put up our fists. We don't go and get our Colt 
action, single action army to shoot at them. We love them. We pray for them. We treat them as equals. And above all, we share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. That's why we can speak to their lives of all that is destroying those things that is holding them captive. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For though we walk in the flesh, though we live like this, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take your thoughts captive. You can do this by the grace of God. And ask that he would give you what you need. Indeed, David Sitton says, The kingdom of God does not advance by physical violence, but through violent faith. Burning the Quran, for example, is not the way of Jesus. Kingdom people advance the name of Christ by humbly exercising violent faith against hell and not people. We do this by turning the other cheek, by overcoming evil with good, and by going into the world with the gospel as lambs as if to the slaughter. Laying down our lives because people need to see Christ displayed. That we have such a desperate heart for God to come and invade the hearts of those that we love and those who are around us. The violence to be worked by Christians is not the violence, is the violence against every distraction, against every convenience, against every temptation that would blind you and me to the beauty of Christ that ought to overwhelm us. But we yawn or we get grumpy because this sermon's too long and Pastor Greg can't shut up. The violence should be against these things that distract us and therefore cause us to be drawn ever more tightly into the web web of the world that already holds our arms and legs and neck. This is a desperate battle for your soul and for the souls of the people you love and desperate battles to call for desperate measures. Desperate measures like cutting off your hand and gouging out your eye. But those who do so find that their God is with them because God loves a desperate soul. I want to tell you, about three world-class desperados. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You might know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king told everybody to worship this particular golden image or else they'd be burned alive. And their response is one of the great all-time passages of all world history. If it be so, if you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace... Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. I love that burning, fiery furnace. This place was hot. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Got to be polite while you're talking to the king, right? But if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Are you so desperate for more of God in your life that you are willing to face the fire instead of bowing the knee? Are you so desperate that you are willing to face your friends and family who are convinced that you take this religious stuff far too seriously? Because you and I are commanded to worship at idols every day where we live right now. We are commanded to worship the entertainment, entertainment as a whole, and the entertainers who govern us. Which leads us to beg the question, why do we so willingly bow before the technicolor idol? But God loves a desperate soul. And yet, our desperado is not finished Every generation is filled with people who will never be satisfied, no matter how your life works out. No asceticism, no licentiousness is good enough. They will always tell you that you aren't good enough. So Jesus tells us a desperado walks and he talks. Verses 16 to 19. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified, is declared correct by her deeds. The point that Jesus is making is that if the world around you doesn't want to hear your message, they won't hear it no matter how good or how bad you are. Period. La, 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 la. And this fact does not undo what we've said about desperate times demanding desperate measures. Instead, you and I are to live and to speak the good news of Jesus because this will lead you and me to the wise lives that cannot be condemned because we are suffering unjustly and not because we're suffering because we're stupid. Not telling our bosses you can take this job and shove it. This is because wisdom is justified by her deeds. And when you and I live the desperate life for the glory of God and not my own convenience, you will be living the life of wisdom. You'll be forsaking much of what does not matter. And you'll be desperately grasping after that which is the only thing that matters, and that is faith expressing itself through love. So the question for you and me is, where does the desperation in my heart need to shine through so, Jesus, so people can see Jesus? Are you being held hostage by Frank Miller's demons, hindering you from confessing a sin that is holding tightly to your heart? 
Do you need to repent of some stubbornness that prevents you from being a blessing to God's people and the people who are near you? Let me tell you what you already know. And that is you have to have a desperate heart before you're willing to confess and repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. But that is the only thing that God really loves. God loves a desperate heart. Be a desperado. Not someone who has no fear of justice. Be a desperado that is absolutely convinced that the judge of the universe has already declared you not guilty. And because of that, you have enormous freedom to take great risks for the glory of God. Today, you can too take great risk by asking God to show you where you need to fight that battle with desperation. Kill that sin before that sin kills you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Declare with your hands and your mouth the glories of the Lord of the universe who is also the Savior of your soul because God loves a desperate soul. Lord Almighty, we come to you because we know that we cannot be desperate enough. We come to you because only in you will we find the power of the Holy Spirit to cause us to be desperate for your glory and your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you will do it. And then we ask that we would act upon the trust of the promises of God for us in Christ by living those desperate lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.